Well, one of the ways that we experience God is through story, right? Hearing each other's stories, experiencing our own stories, and the stories of the Bible, too. And uh, this Holy Week, I'm encouraging you to, um, to read the Holy Week stories. So I'm, I'm laying out a challenge here that I want you to try to read through your Bible some of the stories of Holy Week. And I've given you a little plan on the back table if you want to participate with that. Or maybe you might just pick one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just read through. I will tell you, John is a lot longer if, you're just, if you need a hint because John includes a bunch of teaching from Jesus in the upper room. Uh, but I'm encouraging you to read the story. And this week, I want to just talk through some of the story. Now, today is uh, Palm Sunday. There were palms in the back when you came in. But this Sunday also has another name. Sometimes this Sunday is called Passion Sunday. Passion Sunday, because it is the start of Passion Week. So sometimes this has the emphasis of palms, but, but in my sermon today, I want to emphasize more this idea of passion. The term passion comes from the Latin passio. It means to suffer or endure. Yeah, the idea is we use the term like you're passionate about something, but the idea was if you are passionate about something, you have to sacrifice and endure for it, right? If you're going to love somebody, you're going to have to work. If you're going to have kids, you're going to have to endure, yeah, you want to start a business and you want to have a passion or a hobby, you're going to have to work for it. That's the idea of the word passion. And so we use this word fittingly, I think, for Holy Week because it's Jesus' passion. Um, Jesus has to endure the cross for love of us. Here's how Hebrews 12.2 puts it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Okay, that's passion. You have joy for something, so you have to endure your way through it. And that's the idea of this day and this week is we're going to be reminded of the passion that Jesus had and what he had to go through. So I want to talk you through Passion Week, and then I want to focus particularly on uh, reading a passage of him actually dying on the cross. We're actually kind of sneaky as Presbyterians. Okay, We have Palm Sunday, which is like really fun. And then we have Easter, which is really fun. And we have Monday Thursday, which nobody really comes to, but you should this year because it's going to be good. But we, we tend to always be able to skip Good Friday. So we can have the fun of the, of the palms, and then we can have the fun of Easter, and we can just kind of like sidestep the cross because it grosses us out or we don't like it. And, and I, I want to say that the cross is really, really important, and so I want to zero in on that, the, this particular passion of Jesus today. So let me walk you quickly through the week. Palm Sunday, Jesus came down the Mount of Olives uh, on a donkey. This fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 and also fits a tradition in the Old Testament of kings coming in riding on a donkey. Palm branches were waved. Um, probably the palm branches looked more like the, the sort of fans or fern kind of looks than, than some of the other ones that we have. Um, but it could have been a lot. That was sort of a nationalistic symbol. You wave palm branches. That, that, that was part of, of Israel's heritage. And so they, they were sort of calling out to Jesus. And then they were saying, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us. And so there's this also representation, oh, he's a king coming into the city, but he's also here to save us. This comes right out of Psalm 118. 
And so, so there's this great moment of excitement and buzz. But if you read the story in the Bible, what you find is it's very anticlimactic. Because what Jesus does, the text tells us, he, he, he marches into all this hoopla, you know, and he goes up to the temple and he looks around and then he goes home. <laughs> he goes back to Bethany. He really doesn't do much because a lot of what they wanted him to do was be a king that he wasn't going to be. His mission was different. Now, during the week, Jesus came into the city on most days. He healed people, got into arguments. In fact, he got so angry at one point that he flipped over the table of the money changers. But, but it wasn't all anger. He also weeps for Jerusalem at one point. And from where he was probably weeping and on the Mount of Olives, he could see Jerusalem. Like you could literally see the whole thing from where he was. If only that we all would love our cities the way Jesus loved the city. Like, would you weep for your zip code? Would you weep for your community? Jesus did. Now, all the time, though, his enemies were plotting against him, even getting his own disciple to betray him. Thursday night, he gathers his disciples in an upper room somewhere in the city, he washes their feet, teaches them a bunch of stuff, and then eventually celebrates the Passover with them. Now, they knew the Passover. There was the celebration of the, the angel of death, the, the final plague, the angel of death coming over Egypt and uh, would kill all the firstborn children except those that had the blood of a lamb over a doorway. And so Jesus used this symbolism to talk to them. Later, after the supper, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he liked to go and pray. It was a nice sort of stopping point if you're leaving the city and then going to Bethany. I'm sure he... Like to stop there. In fact, Judas knew where he was going to be, which tells us he probably went there often. Jesus was so anxious that he sweat drops of blood. His committed disciples were also, at this point, his sleepy disciples. Been a long week. We'll maybe give them a pass. He stood alone, felt the weight of the sins of the world that he was about to take punishment for. And then he was betrayed in the garden. Betrayed with a kiss, no less. Okay, To be betrayed is one thing. Probably there were a lot of people staying on the Mount of Olives that night. Probably a lot of people camping out for Passover. So somebody had to point out who Jesus was in the dark of the evening. But to betray with a kiss, that's a, that's a special kind of stabbing, right? That's a special kind of betrayal. There are many people who try to argue that Judas is some kind of heroic or heroic character. I just can't see it when I read the text. In the garden, he's betrayed, taken through three Jewish trials. His disciples are scattered. The only one that's brave enough to stick with him, Peter, who can stick with him, but then when a servant girl questions him, denies him. Then Jesus has three Roman trials. Goes to Pilate. Pilate tries to get rid of him, sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate decides... He has to crucify him. Tries to even give the crowd an alternative. Hey, why don't you take this, this violent criminal Barabbas? We'll let him go, and we'll let Jesus go, and we'll crucify. No, they want Barabbas to be loose. So today I want to read now, having given you the story a little bit going in, let me read Matthew 27. It's a longer passage. I'm going to read 24 to 54. And I'm going to read it a little slowly, and I'm going to read it with a little bit of drama and emotion to it. And here's what I'm asking you to do. This is going to be a little strange for you Presbyterians. But I'm, I'm asking you to kind of bow your heads. Maybe even close your eyes. And, and when you, so when you read Scripture, one of the things you want to do is you want to play it out like a movie. 
What does it look like? What does it feel like? What would it have been like to be there? What do you hear in the background? What, what's it smell like? What are the emotions? What are the body postures of the people that are singing? Think of it more like a movie. Imagine the crowd. Let's be quiet for a moment, and then I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to just sit in it. So, so bow your head. If you're willing, close your eyes. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, he gathered, he, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, then put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man named of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he could not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took a sponge and filled it with a sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from bottom to top, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who fell asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The moving story, terrible story. I encourage you to wrestle with it and to read it and to play it out in your head as a movie this week. But as you start Passion Week, let me point out two things for you. There's a lot to be pointed out, a lot of interesting stuff, uh, especially the zombies. Did you catch that? The people that came out of their tombs. We're going to talk about that next week, actually. But two things I want you to really think about this week as you read the Passion narratives and think through Easter for yourself. One is this. Notice the mockery of Jesus. The, the mockery of Jesus. I mean, over and over. How many different ways can they make fun of and wound not just this person's body, but also their spirit? They mock him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put him in a royal purple robe. They say, Hail, hail King of the Jews. The cross includes a sign that says King of the Jews. They ask him to prophesy, to save himself. They mock him as a king. But do you see the irony? As you read the story this week, I really want you to catch the irony that he is the king. Like, don't, don't miss this. What they are saying in mockery is true. What they are saying about saving others, he says he can save others, let him save himself. No, he's going to the cross to save others. What they're making fun of him as saying, prophesy yourself. See, he's a prophet and a priest and a king, and they are making fun of him in all the ways that he actually should be praised. Even as he's going to the cross, he is ironically being praised for what he's doing by those who do not recognize him for what he is actually doing. There's an irony to the shame of the cross that should not be lost on you. You should pay attention to it. And then when we get to the end of the story, is it an interesting that, that here's all these people that make fun of Jesus. There's all these people that, that, are, that are, you know, pushing him down and, and, and making fun of him. And, and, and then there's this Roman centurion that when he starts to see it all come together, what does he say? Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, now they don't even have the, those Romans don't even have the words to describe what's going on. They don't have the background. They don't know what a Messiah is, probably. They don't, and yet they recognize what the crowd seems to only recognize ironically and in mocking. So as you read the story, don't miss the irony. And here's the other thing I want to point out. When you read Scripture, always pay attention to the details because they can only write so much. So all the authors, the biblical authors, they have to include stuff and they have to leave stuff out. And if you want to know what they're getting at and what's important to them, Pay attention to what's in and what's out. That'll give you a really good clue as to what they're saying. Okay, so when the woman at the well doesn't have a name, why doesn't she have a name? It's kind of interesting. There's a really interesting thing that happens in this passage where Jesus cries out from the cross and we are given the words in Aramaic. Did you notice that? Okay, I had to, you, you don't even know if I said them right or not because you've never heard Aramaic like that before. Okay, I probably said them wrong, by the way. Okay, but why does he include, why does Matthew include the words that Jesus actually says in Aramaic from the cross? 
Well, if you follow it through, it's really rather interesting. Jesus is actually quoting there. He's quoting from a psalm. Psalm 22, sometime during, you'll write it down, because sometime during your Holy Week experience, read that psalm. Okay, it starts, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what it is. Although, if you read in your Bible, it'll say this. It's psalm attributed to David, and it says, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn. Now, we never pay attention to that at all, okay? Because we don't know what that means. What it means is this was a psalm that was sung. Okay, what that means is that there was a tune called the Doe of the Dawn, and the choir master, the person who led the singing, was supposed to know then what tune this was being sung to. So it'd be like Jesus sang from the cross, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Or great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. In fact, the text says Jesus cried out from the cross. I wonder if he was actually trying to sing from the cross. And if he sang this psalm from the cross, I wonder how far he got, or if the crowd then joined in because they would have known the psalm. But if you go back and read that psalm, it gets really fascinating. So let me, let me read a few pieces of this psalm. Okay, it starts out, My God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken me? Here's verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Whoa, wait a minute. That's almost exactly what Matthew says the crowd is doing. In fact, Matthew uses the phrase, wags their heads. Did you catch that? Matthew said they're walking by wagging their heads. Okay, verse 12. I'm not even reading you the whole thing. I'm just giving you the good parts. You've got to go back and read it yourself. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Okay? He's on a cross. My bones are out of joint. That's what happens eventually. You can't hold yourself anymore. Your muscles fail. Your bones are coming out of joint. And his mouth is dry, just like the psalm says. He's exhausted. His heart is probably pounding in his chest as he's trying to breathe. People are yelling at him and taunting him the whole time. But here's the kicker. Ready? For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Can you imagine this? A psalm of David. Imagine the crowd singing the song. And they're getting to these parts and they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. As Jesus is actually quoting a psalm that is absolutely predicting at what is going on here. It says that they've pierced my hands and my feet and they count on my bones. So normally, 
at the cross, this is in another gospel, normally they would, if they wanted you to die quicker, they could break your legs so that you would die sooner. But they didn't do that to Jesus. He can count all his bones. None of his bones are broken. They divided my garments among them. See, a lot of people are, are, are bothered by this idea that God is forsaken, that Jesus is forsaken by God. But actually, if you also read this psalm, it doesn't end with forsakenness. It ends with, no, I felt that way, but God was always with me. And God is doing an amazing thing through the suffering that I'm going through. Go back and read the psalm again. Jesus is, Jesus is actually in singing that. I think he sang it. And I think as the crowd sang it, they were starting to realize that he predicted all this. That this was a part of his mission and part of his purpose. And so all the taunting and all the jeering in the world, he was still right where he was supposed to be. What's his passion? His passion was for us. His passion was for the world. And so he had to endure and he had to suffer. And that means as Christians, that God's going to give us passions. That we've got to endure and suffer to pursue the things that God has for us to do, to repair, to work on, to heal in this world. As you read these passages this week, as you go through Holy Week, as we get towards Easter, remember, this is all for you. All for this world. All for a future restoration where the world will be right again. And this is a story you can base your life on. So I dare you this week, read the story. I dare you this week, read the story. The whole story. Don't just skip over the cross parts. Read through Holy Week. Journey with the disciples. Play it through in your head like a movie and imagine what it might have been like. And any time that you're reading it, any time you're thinking about it, I encourage you to just think in your head, this was for me. This was for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.